Hey, music makers, welcome back to Make More Music, the podcast that connects you to music and one another. My name's Chris, and I'm a board-certified music therapist. And if you're new here, you'll learn quickly that I interview all kinds of music professionals from a variety of career paths to show you how they make a living in their passion in the music and music-related industries. But... If you haven't signed up yet, on our Instagram, we have a giveaway. We partnered with the awesome company, Caulfield Cables. They're giving away one of their not-even-released-yet beautiful HD series cables. I'm waiting to ship it to some lucky winner, and I hope it's somebody like you that's already been subscribing to the podcast. So go on Instagram, like the picture, uh, follow Make More Music, and follow Caulfield Cables, and tag one friend in the comments. You can earn two extra entries. If you already subscribe to the podcast, just take a screenshot in your podcast player and send a DM of that. And if you share it in your stories, tag make more music and you can get up to three entries. And today, 7-20-2020 is the final day. So get it in. If you're listening on the day this release, you have time left. And Wednesday, I'm going to be announcing the winner. So Caulfield Cables is awesome. Go support them. Check out all their super, super beautiful and low capacitance, high fidelity cables. And today is kind of on that same vein. I have Sean Arbo from Gun Street Wiring. And Gun Street Wiring Shop is an awesome master built electronics shop in Portland, Oregon. And uh, Sean and his small crew work on building the insides the electronic components of a guitar and different guitars and basses and they call them wiring harnesses so he goes into a little bit about why it would even matter to have a master built version of that how you can make some upgrades and his whole story he's got an awesome story that relates to me a lot as a music therapist as someone who found music a lot through different health crises so uh, without further ado, let's hop into this great one with Sean Arbo of Gun Street Wiring Harnesses and Gun Street Wiring Shop on Make More Music. Things seem like they're staying pretty busy for you up there in Oregon, huh? Oh yeah, it's it's definitely a new experience for me from doing this part-time now full-time. And you said there's even kind of been an uptick in the middle of all this COVID craziness, huh? I, oh, no, absolutely. I was kind of worried there for a second because it's like I just just started, um, you know, doing this full time. And I went and, and kind of pushed myself to do it. And then I had about a week or so of just nothing, which was just scary. And then all of a sudden it just blew up and I have never been busier. Hmm, man, that is crazy. So... Yeah. And are you still able to work at full capacity then right now? I I kind of guess what was going to happen. Um, being in my previous job, I was a general manager at a liquor store. So you kind of were used to the idea of like, if something happens, like a, I'll give you an example, it'd be like tequila. There's a shortage mm. of agave, agave plants uh, in Mexico and uh, blue agave is what you, you make uh, tequila out of. So once that happens, you, you understand that you have to bulk buy. So once I started seeing that a lot of the things were starting to kind of disappear and get harder and harder to get, I bulk buyed, I bulk bought, I should say. Um, yeah. So that side of just like off the shelf stuff is going. Um, a lot of the custom work stuff is kind of getting iffy on whether or not I can do it just based off of availability on parts. Man, that is wild. Well, uh, before we, I guess we really dive into the rabbit hole and talk about Gun Street and serving musicians i would love to start with some rapid fire are you ready i'm ready all right on your phone or your computer whatever the last thing you listen to music on pull up spotify apple music whatever what's the last track you played uh it's technically an album or or what you would call score um i can't listen to music when i play i'm assuming you get this a lot with other builders like i can't listen to words because i just focus on the words uh so the last um, score I listened to was uh, Succession Season 1. Um, if anyone ever seen the HBO show, you should listen to the score. It's just really a, a phenomenal score. So is a lot of scores and instrumental music you're kind of going through on a day-to-day? When I'm working, I do a lot of um, scores, 
classical music. I'm not someone, I love classical music, but I can't, I couldn't tell you, you know, who it is. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can tell you, like, my, the only song I do know is, like, it's the, the Last Dance of the Nights. I think that's what it's called. Um, other than that, I can't, I have to listen to kind of ambient music. Yeah. Um, I just can't listen to words. At least when I'm working. You, so what would you say uh, top three, no particular order scores, if you were going to say, I can always go back and listen to those couple? But I would say Secession. I probably listened to that so many times. That's a great score. Um, I'm a product of my generation, the Harry Potter score. I just, <laughs> that's my childhood. I can hear it. Um, and then the third one, I'm trying to think what else I listened to. No, I might actually have to pull up my phone. Um, oh, actually, I know another interesting one, and I actually haven't seen the movie, but it was really good score. Was uh, um, 1917. Mm, I haven't seen that movie, but it looks amazing. Yeah, I love the the way they shot that. I, I love the, that that idea. Yeah, I'm a big. I know you're a podcast nerd, so mm -hmm. I'm a big Dan Carlin nerd, and he was just talking a lot about. He's like, I think this is going to change. We'll see a trend of new war movies being like that for a oh, while. I bet. So, well, that's fun. Next, next question: If you were an instrument, what would you be? You can be as philosophical or as uh, just kind of plain with the answers you want to be. Oh, that's that's an interesting way to think, I guess. Um, I would say, I would say a, a parts caster. There you okay. go. Okay. I like it caster because I'm a bunch of just random different parts brought together to make an overall thing. And if I don't like it, I try to switch it out, I guess. I don't know. That's an interesting way to do it because it, I guess instrument is also fun. a vague term. <laughs> what uh, if you were, if you were going to put together a parts caster right now, roughly what like body and neck and pickups and configuration would you go with? Um, so probably basically what I did with my last one. I got a solid rosewood neck. Um, it was super uh, raw, and I, I worked on it because I don't think I could afford that normally. Um, a really lightweight ash body. Um, it's painted um, Daphne blue, got a red Taurus pickguard, um, and it's all the the uh, hardware is lightly aged. Ooh, that's a fun guitar. Pretty. I'm yeah. sure I've seen that in pictures, but man, I gotta, I gotta go back and look. We'll have to link to that. Cause that sounds beautiful. Yeah. So, well, and I know that goes into your history a little bit, but in the mm -hmm. middle of kind of all of this coronavirus stuff, what's something that's been inspiring you doesn't have to be music related at all. I guess you could say your classic things, just people, places, and things. Um, I have a lot of my friends, just like I get to one, I get to interact with more because now they're not as busy as they were before. Um, and I get to do, you know, bounce ideas off of um, just like play, you know, video games with them um, and, and like places. I just moved to Portland and it's a way different city than what I'm used to. I grew up in a small town in central Oregon. And then I guess just more of just a little bit more time. So I get to kind of appreciate a lot of just weird things. Um, and I love design, so I, I, I've been getting a lot of weird kind of design things that I get to just stare at for a long time. Have you still been able to kind of explore Portland much in this kind of weird time? Or like, what's that been like? Um, yes and no. I, I got about three months of, of exploring and getting kind of used to it. And then this whole thing happened. And then I'm kind of stuck in my little um, southeast corner of Portland. Yeah. So... Not too much, but enough that I got that. And and plus, I guess growing up, Portland is about four hours where I grew up from, and it was always like the kind of special thing to to go to Portland mm -hmm. on the weekends uh, and and go experience that. So I've experienced it enough, but not in the sense of like you know living here. That's good, man. I've never made it out that way. I've been to Northern California. I have some family spread out around California, but I've never made it that far north. So that is definitely uh soon one of my best friends uh works for microsoft in seattle now so oh, I've nice gotta, i've got to make it out that way he just started working there not too long ago so 
Pacific Northwest is definitely a unique area, especially the West Coast. Oh man, I gotta gotta get out there sometime soon. So, um, considering maybe your job, but it could be also anything, anything in life. Mm-hmm. What is a pro tip or a hack that you practice that you feel like other people should know about? I have two. I have two. One that someone told me that I like I lived through. Um, and then one I've just, I've inherited. Uh, mine is obsessive practice makes perfect. Um, mm. I, I love the idea of like um, growing up, I always was told I was a natural at everything and that I never felt like that. Um, so I always felt like you only become a natural when you obsessively do something, spending thousands of hours. I, I was a soccer kid and I spent mm. thousands of hours practicing. Um, and then someone, uh, when I was like 15, gave me really good advice uh, about, you know, questions when you don't know what, what the answer is. And it is uh, read through problems or learn through problems. Ooh. No one has the answers, but books can help. Yeah. And just to uh, get your hands dirty and learn the things as you go along the way. Yeah. That's good, man. All right. Another left turn. What's your go-to junk food? Um, I think I'm limited on what I can eat because like, I have a sugar intolerance. So mm. I like salty things. I would say buffalo wings, if you would classify that oh. as a junk food. Um, I can eat my weight in that. Hot? Do you I, have like, a favorite I like a mild, all through hot. Um, I just, I guess it really depends on my mood. And as for <laughs> restaurants, not necessarily. Um, I have, my addiction for, for buffalo wings is decades long and I've refined my process to the point where like the only ones I like are like my own. Um, mm. or if you go to the South and you get legit ones or I, or technically it's from New York, but like that really nice fried chicken. Yeah, man, I'm hungry right now. It is approaching getting closer to dinner time. <laughs> That's got me <laughs> starving right now. That sounds good. Um, so lastly, who is a person, a project, or an organization that you want to lift up with a shout out? Um, I want to just say more of a, a, a market. Uh, before yeah. this, my job was um, I managed two giant liquor stores, and half of our business was uh, restaurants and bars. And through this whole virus, I know personally a lot of businesses who may not come back from it. Um, mm. So, you know, Support your local restaurant uh, if they do take out. Um, a lot of them are doing GoFundMe's. Try to help out that. Um, it's really easy to focus on, you know, the individual owner of the bars or restaurant, but it's actually more of a, a group of people associated with that restaurant. So yeah, just go man. ahead and support your local your local economy. Yeah, I did. I don't know. My first job was the drive-through attendant at a Corky's Ribs and Barbecue. And then I just always worked at restaurants until I was literally a music therapist. I worked at restaurants all the way through. I worked at Texas Roadhouse for forever. And um, there's a lot of cogs in that wheel that oh, yeah. the ripple is going to be huge. Oh, yeah. Uh, and there people will be sad. I mean, Corky's went out of business like, I don't even know what year that was. I was maybe it was like 2007 and it was just, you know, split, they split their business and opened two of them in town and it wasn't serving them good. So it's like all these places with these thin margins, man, it's going to be rough. Yeah. That's, that's another thing I never realized until being in the industry is like a lot of those restaurants and bars, everything, they actually don't make a lot of money. It's a lot of it. It costs a lot of money just to run it. Yeah, it's crazy, man. And then you think, and I would remember like some nights we would reconcile the cash register and you think, wow, that's a lot of money. But then, and now as a, as an adult paying all of my bills and thinking about yeah. that, <laughs> like, uh, they had to pay some punk teenagers <laughs> to, <laughs> to sling pork sandwiches. You know? yeah. So that's cool, man. Well, before Gun Street, before everything you're doing to be I think your presence in the gear community is just awesome. I see you as this big supporter of people doing all kinds of things. Uh, I've heard you on literally all the podcasts because I listen to all of those podcasts, but 
take me back to um, the beginning of what were some of your first musical memories as a child? Um, my parents are avid music lovers, not players. Uh, I think one of my earliest memories is uh, my parents got a record player. Um, this is in the early 90s uh, when it was like, what about a CD and tape deck? Uh, so they got a record player and they taught me and my brother um, how to use it. So I remember putting on, I want to say it was Abbey Road and having a big league chew gum uh, and, and being a child and not having someone watching you real quick, you know, eating the whole thing and listening to that album. I think that's probably one of my earliest. Oh man. Those, uh, I loved those like sour apple flavors of that. Big yep. league. Yeah. That's, that lasts that's a whole two weird. seconds. It, which is so weird because I mean, you looked like those like Ed, Ed, Nettie, like with a jawbreaker, like out of your face. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that's awesome. So, uh, you said you were a big athlete. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you still, you still do a lot of sports or what does that look like? Uh, I, Still, I'm trying. I'll say that. Uh, I, I played soccer. So I played soccer from, I played competitive soccer, which is like you go to tournaments, go travel and everything. I played, did that from seven, 7 to 15. And then I took a break from 15 to 21. Mm-hmm. And then from 21 to, I think, actually only until the last six months, um, I was playing. But last year, I broke my rib. And ah. I, I thought, you know, being a kid, I was like, oh, it's fine. I remember as a kid, I actually popped my knee out of socket and, and then got it back in and, and played a whole tournament. <laughs> and then as an adult, you do that. And it's just like, I am so old. I can't do <laughs> that anymore. So I've been trying. I'm going to probably, I like to, to exercise. I think it's like a really good, like, um, psyche reset so i'm doing other things but i don't know if i'll be playing sports as much as i used to that is a big advantage for me of this coronavirus thing is i've gotten my butt back off the couch and started running again and i realized like today even i was like man my attitude like everything about my whole whole day has started off well even though I sluggishly ran a couple of miles. <laughs> exactly. You know? But yeah, we've got these two really, really old cemeteries with like 1800s uh, grave markers and stuff. So it's fun to kind of just run through that and it's really quiet. And uh, yeah, man, I, I feel you for sure. So I'm trying to feel you. I'm trying. To be <laughs> more hey, so, you know, this makes perfect. Yeah. You know, you get, I, I got to try and get obsessive, you know? So yeah, exactly. Um, so you have these, yeah, that's almost like a mythological experience. You know, you're, you have your big league chew and you've got the sensory aspect of Abbey Road and stuff going on. So as you're growing up, at what point do you start learning instruments and get getting really into the making music side? So I've always, I mean, from then on, I was a big music lover in general. Um, and then, um, I kind of grew up with uh, my sugar intolerance, but it wasn't really diagnosed back then. Uh, so I was always bound to my house with bouts of like super, like being sick. Um, mm. And I have an older brother who was uh, coming of age. Um, he's four years older. So I would have been 14. He would have been 18. Um, mm. So he had a, a guitar in his room and, and he was at school and I was homesick. So I would go home and, or, I'd be in my room and I'd basically uh, sneak sneak into his room, grab his little little mini Dean amp and his <laughs> slammer hammer, and then I'd go in in my room and basically you know learn how to play it. Um, this is before YouTube, um, or at least the beginning. No, yeah, before. Yeah. So I was just kind of learning your basic, you know, Deep Purple or uh, uh, Iron Man, and then uh, and then basically from there. I, I just really, it's a really great way to uh, spend a lot of time when you have a lot of time and you don't have a lot of yeah. stimulus. So I kind of got addicted to that. Um, and then my, actually my parents caught me or my brother caught me cause he skipped school. Um, and then, and <laughs> exactly. And so then they, uh, you know, my brother didn't want me touching his stuff. So they ended up buying me my own kind of basic car. 
red-handed playing his Pretty guitar much, yeah. better than him at that point, right? And, and well, prop, yeah, because he he didn't he liked it, like he liked the idea of playing guitar, but it never kind of clicked with him. So mm-hmm. it literally sat in the corner of his room, you know, collecting dust. Um, so it was it was yeah. That's I guess that's basically it. So I I how old were you roughly around that time? I was about fourteen. Okay, yeah, I was about to say I kind of had the same experience of being in middle school and I got a guitar for Christmas that I didn't even ask for. And <laughs> but as soon as I started learning, I like, oh um, I basically haven't played video games since <laughs> that was and I just got obsessed. And I think that like middle school me that couldn't quite, you know, go out and drive and see friends and stuff yet, it was like so obsessive, but I think it's also interesting to me as a music therapist. Um, did you ever have any interactions with music therapists in like hospital systems or anything like that? No, um, I don't. I, I could have been just sheltered. I mean, the town I was, especially back then, was super super small, uh, so they probably didn't they didn't have that. I mean, a lot of the um, therapists I interacted with. Um, we're very limited in general. Um, yeah, that makes sense. It was mainly just your kind of your generic. I, I remember, so I got mit, misdiagnosed with a panic disorder, mm. um, and a bi- I got misdiagnosed with a lot of things. Um, That's but, wild. Yeah, instead of a sugar intolerance. Yeah, basically. Wow, that is wild. <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about it, and and you don't really. Um, because I, I didn't know until I was 26. So four years ago, I discovered this. So a lot of times I thought I was panicking. And it's really easy to rationalize, you know, all of a sudden after, you know, you eat your breakfast a couple hours later, you feel really sick. And then you're like, well, why do I feel sick? And it's like, oh, well, that day I have to go to work. Well, it's anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really easy to rationalize how that could be misdiagnosed. Yeah. Um, but the original, what kind of started this um I guess I should also say give a little more context. Um, this is when I was 15 when I got diagnosed. But mm-hmm. for the past 10 years before that, because I remember, I remember going to first grade and I had like a, basically when I have sugar, it makes me like have the flu. Mm-hmm. And I had that kind of experience. So we went to a doctor and the doctor is like, no, everything's fine. I got low iron or something like that. Um, so I went to a doctor's a lot, but then when I was 15 and I was being a smart ass, uh, the, the doctor was like, uh, you know, do you like school? And I was like, no. Uh, do you like doing your homework? I was like, no. Do you feel like you're doing all right? And I was like, I'm fine. And he's like, oh, well, Sean has butterflies. So that's, that's what it is. And then my parents were like, oh, he knows more than me. Jeez Louise. I think, unfortunately working in pediatric units i've seen so many teens that have had like it just goes to show that medicine is not as advanced as we think it is sometimes and it's like i'll see kids over and over that like and the some of the ones that are scary too is like shunts in their brain like Mm -hmm. relieving pressure and stuff like Uh it is crazy to me how much we just kind of like i mean even with all the scientific knowledge like you just kind of put the, put this shunt in their brain and, oh, it's not quite right. They're vomiting till they're about to die. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, well, let's just fix it a little bit. It's just crazy. Um, so, man, I got a lot of empathy for that struggle. Was that, uh, did, did you feel like crazy going through all of that? Or what did you I think? Know. I mean, to this day, and, and my parents have like, uh, you know, they feel a lot of, they feel very guilty and, and they apologize as much as they can. Um, but forever, no one believes me. Um, and, and to this day, I kind of have this idea of like imposter syndrome associated to it. Um, but, uh, to kind of, I guess, say not too bad. I went through about three or four really bad doctors and therapists, but then I ended up getting this lady, um, who was just phenomenal. Uh, and she probably literally helped me kind of, um, kind of changed the way I think about things. And, and, um, she kind of pushed, I love psychology. I've read mm. a lot about, you know, um, 
all the classics, you know, upfront conditioning and all that kind of stuff. Um, and she kind of pushed that and, and tried to answer my question. She's actually the one who said, uh, you know, read through your problems. Uh, mm. So if you weren't in Guntry, I feel like you'd be a music therapist. <laughs> I, I wanted to be a nurse practitioner. I thought that was a, a phenomenal Sweet. thing. Yeah, no, that's a great career too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But, uh, I, just, I like the research side of it. So there you go. That's cool. So you start, you know, stealing your brother's guitar, you get your guitar. I always love to ask too, did you do any bands like garage bands, things like that growing up? Oh yeah. I had a, a group of friends who like, we basically kind of all started hanging out because of guitar um, or just like love of music. Uh, so we had our own little garage band. Uh, uh, well, I love to hear the names. What are some of these <laughs> names? So we had this, because we're 15-year-old boys going through puberty, and we had this girl that we all had a crush on, and she would say that uh, we're her primary friends. So um, we called ourselves the primaries. Oh, so that wow. Was, that was the start that of the name. Good. <laughs> uh, that is good. Yeah. And we played... We never played real shows because uh, <laughs> I love this. Yeah, we're you know there's a four piece band and two of us were scared scared to death to actually go play in public and then uh, like I was me and my other my my buddy Mason were like yeah let's go do a show let's do it let's do it and then our other friends were like no we're good I don't want to do that so we never did that but my parents uh um, let us set up the over the whole garage and we set it up and had like a whole little kind of music studio that we could have fun with. That's fun. Yeah, me and my friends, especially like my like bass player friend in high school. I mean, we basically just played like misfit covers to ourselves, yep. like over and over and Pretty over much. and over. <laughs> what uh, what bands and what kind of music were you playing uh, in in your different bands and stuff like that? I would say misfits. Uh, we did uh, Night Night, My Darling. That was a good cover. Oh, so good. Um, uh, we did uh, Holiday in Cambodia. I like punk. Um, I love proto-punk. Um, so we did that. We did the New York Dolls. Uh, we did. And then we started kind of doing our own music because we're like, we don't want to be a cover band. Because um, we're just, I think. That For all these gigs we're about to start playing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we wrote a lot of our, like, you know, uh, songs. Uh, I was really into the Violet Femmes at that time. So mm-hmm. the the songs that, like, I wrote were very, like, teenage angst and like you know it, it was it's very cringy i think i i hope i deleted all those those songs because i don't know Man. if I can hear it but i feel you i was like 13 when i tried to write my first song and it was called school sucks spelled s-u-x <laughs> <laughs> yeah so and then i was so obsessed i literally only have one tattoo and it's 138 in roman numerals on my arm so uh i was deep in the misfits rabbit hole so that's good man it's so good and i'm so angry that i didn't i wish i like went to new york and watched that reunion show uh uh, if they ever decide if danzig ever decides (laughs) yeah a nice human for five seconds i'm gonna go see it we'll see we'll see but you know i would even go see the jerry only crew and stuff like that but um so at what point you you've had this route where you slowly have built up this career so um what are the steps along the way to getting to gun street and deciding Uh, i want to do this for a living it's i guess it's a little bit little bits and pieces i come from um a very or at least my dad's side of the family is very um entrepreneurship so like mm-hmm. that's like a rite of passage, just to be your own own your own business. So I always yeah. wanted to do that, uh, and then originally I wanted to be a guitar builder, and I built a guitar when I was fifteen, and I had I I had it in the garage. And my uncle from California came by, and and he ended up playing it, and he had this like crazy look on his face of just like like he's very impressed by building the guitar, and he was looking at it without me even him seeing that I was there. Um, so oh, I, that's really cool. Yeah. So I got addicted to that sensation of trying to build something that causes like a, um, a kind of a more emotional response. And that's probably the beginning of associated with country. Cause of, if you see my products, um, I, 
I create a very holistic product. Uh, it's not just like, you know, the raw form of it, but it's just everything around it. And then from there, I just kind of got in the community, um, hung around the Les Paul forums, learned a lot. Um, and then I ended up having a really bad experience with a guy who sold pre-made kits. Uh, and that kind of got me into just learning about how electronics works, or at least passive circuits. And and I just started selling it on my own because I was a, I think I started dating my girlfriend or my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, oh, I need some extra cash because I want to go take her to the movies or something. And then it kind of snowballs from there. I just, I've always been customer focused, customer service. And I, and I really try to talk to people just like, you know, on their level, because it's really easy to forget that, you know, something I understand, someone may not understand. Yeah. And, and it snowballed from there. People started to kind of pick up on it. And then people started talking about it. Um, I got the nerve and sent one of my kits to uh, Matt Knight, the guitar nerds, and he mm-hmm. loved it. And then that even more snowballed and, and people kind of like, you know, know me from, from seeing me around, uh, just kind of a slow, steady increase of like, okay, I should probably quit my full-time job and do this. Was that a, a scary move or do you feel like you already had this infrastructure that was ready for that leap? I, it was still scary. No matter how you look at it, it was still <laughs> scary for, for myself. Um, I, because of, you know, my experience, I am, I am hundred percent Mr. Imposter syndrome. So it's like, mm-hmm. I'm never good enough. I will never, it will never be good enough. Um, but I had a, um, a great opportunity with, with, um, in 2011, I started working at a liquor store in my town because no one was hiring and uh, it was just a job. And then I'm a hard worker. And from there, I basically went from, you know, sales clerk to, you know, uh, night supervisor all the way to becoming the general manager um, of one of the stores I, I did is actually the top five selling stores in Oregon. So they wow. do, you know, 12 million a year. Uh, and then the owner actually got another liquor store. So then I did um, man- help manage that one. So I have a lot of experience when associated with like understanding the idea of what needs to be done, processes and all that kind of stuff. So that wasn't the scary part. It's just the idea of like the unknown. And that's what yeah. to this day scares me. Yeah. I mean, even looking kind of at the pedigree, you have this family that, you know, honors and values entrepreneurship you have all this experience but I, but still i've heard mixed things you know i've heard some people say you know i was already bursting at the seams and then i've heard some people like nope it definitely was frightening <laughs> so yeah. I, yeah i think it goes it depends on the personality and i think depends on the blinders that you have on <laughs> at that time yeah. i will say now doing this i i don't know if i could go back i will i mean if I have to, you know, feed my family, I'm going to go back. But at the same time, it's like, I love it. It's such mm-hmm. a fun uh, addiction to kind of get so obsessed about a business. So for, I'm assuming some people are going to tune in and because they already know you and know mm-hmm. the street. But then I have a lot of music therapists who we as music therapists have to learn guitar, piano, voice, and percussion if you don't already know one of those things, those are like the core areas that you learn. And then there's a lot of just general uh, musicians and music lovers that listen. So for those people who already uh, who already know you, we'll just kind of, they can, they can hang tight, but tell me, explain to me if you got stopped or, you know, you're at a party and somebody asked me what you do. Uh, tell that as simply as you can for someone who maybe just has a guitar. So I make the, uh, the insides of the, the guitars, basically the electronics of it. Um, what I do is how you kind of filter the sound. If you think of like a, a electric guitar, you have a pickup, which is like mm-hmm. the, the engine of the guitar. Um, mm-hmm. What I do is like the transmission 
where I changed the gearing to do different kind of set things, what you want from it. Wow, that is a great analogy. That is like really well said. I might have uh, a little bit of practice on that one. Yeah, that's that's good though. So um, I would say the next point for, especially, you know, most of the interns I teach, I'm a guitar nerd myself. I've grown up playing guitar. But for my friends that wouldn't understand why that's important, uh, why, why does that make a difference and why like, you know, what's different from Gun Street as compared to getting a guitar off of a rack at a music store? So with with electronics, there's a lot of different ways you can um, make sounds, different sounds out of it. Um, there's the simple thing, what you can say why you'd want a, a wiring harness would be like, okay, you want to um, improve the durability. You buy a import guitar that has, you know, metric pots. They might not last as long as getting... A, a, a nicer pot. Um, so you have that side of it, but then you also have different where it's like every player is different. So when you hear something, you want a certain sound. Um, and what I do is help you achieve a certain sound. So if you want your guitar to have a little bit more bass, I can wire up the guitar to have a little bit more bass or if, you know, take that the opposite way, you want more treble, I can uh, wire it up to have a little bit more treble. And out of, you do basically all of the, your website has all of the standard electric guitars and you do a lot of custom work as well. But what would you say are your most commonly sold items? Which types of guitars and what types of modifications are you, are you selling? Uh, Telecasters tends to be like my number one, um, that and SG's. Uh, and then from oh. Telecasters, um, I, I made a circuit, I modded a circuit for a five-way uh, switch. So it gives you five different sounds. You have your first three normal ones um, and then uh, two extra that I kind of did. Um, and then for the SG, uh, a lot of people like what you call the volume bleed, which sounds mm. fancy, but all it does is as you roll down the volume, it uh, retains a lot of highs. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't have expected SGs. Uh, Secretly, SGs have, if I remember this correctly, SGs have been in um, continuous build since it first came out. It's the secret mm. go-to for for you know people love. Yeah, that was my uh, my first guitar I bought with my money was an SG, an Epiphone SG, because I wanted to be like Angus Young. So yep. <laughs> that was, uh, and I, I ended up selling it. Um, and now I'm at the point where I'm starting to record more things. I'm starting to, I, I have a Strat and it does so much. And I'm all, definitely a Strat player, mm -hmm. but I'm like, man, I need some humbuckers again. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I've been dawdling back and forth. Uh, the one that really has been catching my eye is uh, it's gotten a lot of like hate and dissing on, on the internet, but uh, the Fender alternate universe power caster, I think looks awesome. Yeah. It's got the P90 and a uh, humbucker. I was like, man, with like a couple of mods, that thing is probably really cool. But, That's one thing I've learned about, uh, in this industry or at least just the kind of the community side of it it's like i just tune out a lot of those people who tell me what what is cool what is not cool what is right what is not right it's just like if you like it then just get it yeah and i think that's going to work to my advantage because they are a lot cheaper used yep, uh, yep. because they're quote unquote not cool and i think yep. it's cool that you know some brands like like jhs are really pushing you know if it sounds good, if you like it, it's good, you know? And I think a lot of that, because you and I grew up in that Ultimate Guitar Forum, yeah, and, you know, things yeah. like that where it was, we didn't know it, but we were basically getting bashed by baby boomers while we were, yeah. you know, uh, teenagers that couldn't afford a guitar. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's hard to shake some of those stereotypes and stuff for sure. Oh, yeah, especially the wiring market is full of a lot of those kind of things where it's like, it's really hard to get that around people's heads of like the idea of like, 
this is a passive guitars are a passive circuit so there's no there's less than a volt going through the circuit um and like one of your biggest myths with with improving the tone is using you know nine or ten percent tolerance pots and that's supposed to improve your tone but it, it really won't but that's a mm. prime example of you know an armchair uh form guy telling you no it's you're wrong i'm right you know they don't make the pots like they used to in the 50s yeah i think so i was talking also on i think it's episode four is with Scott from Stringjoy, mm-hmm. and it was kind of the same thing. Why, or I guess not why, what are some of the other like myths about the mojo and the voodoo behind things like the wiring when, you know, people talk so much about the wood of the guitar, but it's like, it's an electric guitar, right? Like yeah. there is electronics that yeah. make it make sound. So what are some of the other uh, myths that you bust on a regular basis? Uh, capacitors, that's another one where it's like the idea of like, um, a lot of people will pay like thirty to, to eighty dollars for paper and oil capacitors, um, which uh, sound really amazing, quote unquote. But in all actuality, they're they're just you can get a same sound out of you know a four or five dollar one. Um, with capacitors, is the easiest way to to understand it is um, capacitor is like a filter, right? And it's a set uh-huh. filter, so depending on the value of the capacitor, it's going to cut out a certain frequency. Um, but what happens with, with like, let's say old ones, which a lot of people are, you know, have the mojo quote unquote, um, <laughs> old capacitors made in, you know, the fifties or sixties have a tolerance of negative um, 10%, positive 80%. So let's say like you have a, this is, I'm going to say so many numbers. I apologize to your viewers. Good, so let's say it. you say, say you have a, uh, 0.022 UF and a vintage capacitor, it could range anywhere from 0.018 to, you know, 0.047. So mm-hmm. even though it says it's, it's 22, yeah. that's a huge variance. Um, and, you know, pot tolerance doesn't have, doesn't have a, you know, doesn't matter. But capacitor tolerance has a huge difference because that's a, you know, you could have a single coil capacitor instead of a humbucker capacitor and you not even know it. So, yeah, I guess that would be good. What would be some reasons? Uh, I know you mentioned a little bit about the, you know, improving or changing, you know, some of the sounds. What are some common reasons for somebody like me who I've never messed around with anything like that? One time I tried to swap EMGs because you know I was in a power metal band <laughs> yeah, in, yeah. in in high school, so I tried to swap EMGs into my RG five fifty, and mm-hmm. um, I did it like backwards. It just wasn't working. I had my tail between my legs, and obviously, like you said, there was no support for me at yeah. that time. Like I had to go shamefully take it to a guitar store, and you know they tell me that I'm an idiot and they charge me a hundred dollars to do something that took them 10 minutes. So, um, what are some things that you would recommend if somebody is interested in just the first exploring? I mean, the first one I would say is just try a lot of your, your classic, I call them main style wirings, which is like, um, a fifties modern or volume bleed. Um, each, each of those kind of have a distinct kind of style to it. Um, modern is a low pass filter, so it saves more bass as you roll down the volumes. And then 50s and volume bleed are high pass, so they save more highs. But with like the 50s and volume bleed, the control is the way the taper. So like um, taper mm-hmm. is, is how it rolls off. It's different. So it really is a lot of how you, the player, does it and, and likes to do it. Um, if you guys do have questions, you can always email me at sales at gunstreetwiringshop.com and I would be more than happy to kind of answer it. But there's a lot to your, your instruments wiring that, um, I hear it a lot. People are like, I love the way this guitar plays, but I hate how it sounds. Mm. And, and you can do a lot just with the wiring alone, like, um, I have like a stock squire that has the stock squire pickups, but I wired the, the pickups different, and then people don't realize they're stock wire or squire. So there's a lot you can do when you love a guitar 
that just there's something off that just doesn't mesh with you. Yeah, the hot rotting can be something. And I think the good thing is um, the these wiring harnesses are a lot more accessible even financially, right? So Oh yeah. There's a uh the it's a very it's getting bigger and bigger. Um and you can get them if you if you want to to kind of <laughs> um if you want to do it yourself and not have very much customer service and like, you know, ask people questions really easily, you can get them very affordably on, you know, eBay. Um I would hundred percent look at people's feedback. Uh, just in case, because a lot mm. of times anyone can sell them, so the quality of the soldering might not be as good. But right. you can go to somewhere like me or like Stu Mac, who like will literally, you know, walk you through it if we have to. Yeah, and well, I mean, and your kits are not like crazy expensive for somebody that wants to make <laughs> something that's making this drastic difference. It's like. Well, if you're going to take it serious, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's a lot cheaper than buying a $2,000 guitar. And that's for oh, yeah. sure, you know? So it, it's that, it's that funny medium to people where like certain people I'm expensive to other ones. I'm like super cheap. So it's that yeah. happy medium. I've tried to be that happy medium. I feel like that's a good place to sit. Cause it also probably weeds out a lot of the knuckleheads that you wouldn't <clears> want to deal with anyway. Oh, yes. Yes. Well, uh, so what, what year did Gun Street begin? So Gun Street officially um, started in 2015. Um, and then in 2015, it was technically Gun Street uh, Guitar Emporium. And I used to sell uh, vintage guitars and uh, uh, pre-made uh, wiring harnesses. Mm-hmm. And then basically, because the wiring harnesses took off, it just turned into Gun Street Wiring Shop. So I can just focus 100% on the wiring harnesses. And so now that you're, I mean, in gear world time, you're like a veteran, basically. So, um, I guess, well, but not really. <laughs> I'd say you're, you're the happy medium. Yeah, exactly. I'm learning politics. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, that's cool, man. So tell me, I'm assuming, you know, this COVID-19 is absolutely nuts and there's a lot of people that are a lot of negatively affected but even those people that are negatively affected some of them are turning to new creative projects and things like Mm -hmm. that so for the for the person that wants to start whether it's you know specifically a wiring company or just something in musical instruments manufacturing what are some tips and some insights and philosophies and things like that that have really helped you because i know customer service is a huge one but what are some other things that you feel like you want to harp on um i guess for like if you want to get starting into modding you got to understand the basics of just like how to set up a guitar because no matter what you put in a guitar if it if it's not properly set up you're gonna hate it um mm. and then the second Do you have any favorite places you point people for like uh beginner setup stuff i'm a i'm a youtube addict so I yeah. will I will watch um, YouTube videos, and I'm someone who um, likes to watch multiple because everyone has their own insight. So mm-hmm. I would watch as many videos as you can to learn just kind of the basics. Um, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head, but there's there is you can type it in into YouTube and, and find some really great sure. ones. Cool, and I cut you off. What you said? So understanding the basics of setting up, and then what? And then I would say, just kind of learn from there. You can learn, you know, the insights, the kind of the the more refined ideas of like, okay, how pickups affect your sound, the height of pickups affect your sound, how, you know, wiring can filter it. Um, And that ends up being, well, one with, with pickups, it's a good way to just do sound demos and try to figure out what you like from the sound. And then, but the other side is just kind of testing it. It's that's the hard part when you get into this and it, it really turns into a gear addiction is you got to test a lot of things. Mm. And what about for the person who is ready to get over the hump and start a business? What, what some business war room tactics you've got for people? Um, so one of my, is goes back into kind of like the read through problem. Um, my grandpa used to teach uh, uh, business at our local community college 
And mm. one of his famous, famous lines are, uh, the dumbest man in the room is the one who thinks he knows it all. Uh, and what he meant mm. is not to be, you know, arrogant, but more of, um, you got to always learn and always try to, to kind of figure out how you are doing. Um, another way you could say is kind of the, the interesting way would be like adapt or die. The idea of, of never be complacent. You got to keep learning. You got to keep improving. Anytime you do something, um, like my, I'll give you my example. I came out in the market and I started doing, you know, very colorful, colorful harnesses. Shortly after that, some of the big guys, they have that. So it's, as soon as you do something, it's going to change everything. So you got to keep funny. adapting. And I love the, like you said, the colorful harnesses. I love seeing the, just the imagery and the thought about your presentation. And you said, you know, you're into videography and things like that. So um, I would just say, I have one more thought and it just totally went away. But so in Gun Street, if I remember correctly, right, it is named, is it after your grandfather? What, what's the story of that? So Gun Street came from a parable that my grandfather used to love to uh, okay. tell everyone. And I don't know how truthful it is because, uh, you know, I come from a very uh, big family. And I've heard that story so many times that every single time it changes <laughs> ever so slightly that I'm like, wait a minute. Um, but the term Gun Street came from a parable about uh, Hugh O'Kane, who was a local, um, kind of like a, a founding member of our town. Um, and he he was a stowaway Irish immigrant who, who basically um, snuck into the U.S. at age 13 um, in, in Gangs of New York era, New York, um, and yeah. was a street kid. And he basically, you know, had the worst childhood being a street kid and worked really, really hard to the point where he ended up moving uh, to Idaho and had, you know, started up in a hotel and did really, really well and made another hotel and, and moved to, to Bend where he did another hotel. And this is, you know, he's a 65 year old mm. at this point where, you know, back in, this is 1914, you know, that's pretty old. Uh, but yeah. he, he, during this time when he was kind of getting ready to retire, all uh, his, his hotel basically burnt down and he lost his entire life savings and, wow. um, you know, everything. Uh, so he, he basically was like, you know, distraught and he's talking with everyone and he's saying, no, uh, what, what am I going to do? Like, what should I do? And everyone says, just, you know, take the insurance money and go back and build it up again, which at this time he's tired and doesn't want to do that. So Hugh, who basically traveled the whole world, um, was like, you know what, I'm just going to do something different. And he created uh, like a very modern building for this really wild West town, um, which then in return caused everyone to um, copy it. And, and, as my grandpa would say in, in the, the story is it was a gun battle of innovation or what he would call the street was gun street. Hmm. Which is funny. Like you said, you know, you started doing these colorful harnesses and then you see the big dog showing up and doing that too. So it's, it's funny. Just, how that... It's just part of it. It's you have to do that. And I, and I don't want to like say it's like, Oh, you know, they're copying me. Cause it's like those big dogs have, you know, 20 plus employees and they got to, you know, pay for those employees. So, you know, I'm yeah, yeah. right with that. Yeah. It, it's just the game. And like yeah. you said, you learning the politics and how it goes. And, uh, I think people always talk about the gear community being such an amicable community, but it's also still, uh, an industry, right? Like people yeah. are still working, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah which is a I, good thing. Yeah. I would say, you know, coming from, uh, the liquor side, which is, you know, very cutthroat and very different. Um, and there's a lot of like scary things that liquor companies do to get like get sales, but like the gear industry is very, very nice and it's very close and it's very small and everyone talks. So it's like, it's very friendly. And I've, I, I don't think I've had bad experiences with it, so I can't say for sure, but it's just like, it's definitely a, a different style and most times if you are a dick in the industry everyone knows you're a dick yeah and i that i mean 
that is such a good culture too. You know, it's like, it, I would rather be in a culture where it is worse to be, you know, the dude, everybody thinks it is terrible rather than yeah. like, well, you got to do what you got to do. You know what I mean? So man, that is good. So where do you want people to, I would say when they're waxing down their surfboard to surf the net, where do you want them to find everything about what you're doing and gun street and what other things do you have coming on the horizon? Um, well, the easiest place is going to be just our website at gunstreetwiringshop.com. Um, that's what I usually kind of consistently change and um, keep with my brand. Other than that, we're on most socials. I spend most of my time on Instagram. Um, and that's the easiest way. I'm, I'm, I'm getting busier, so I'm harder to get a hold of. But usually <laughs> I do my best. Uh, to, to answer every question. And if you can try on all different platforms, I will do my best to answer it. Um, cool. And as of, as of, you know, what's the future hold, I'm not too sure. I just enjoying, you know, every day is different. Every day I'm learning something new. Um, probably more, I'm probably going to focus more on videos because I'm really enjoying that. Sweet. Well, lastly, I always like to wrap up with the, how and the why. So how practically and why philosophically do you inspire other people to make more music? Um, that's a hard one. How I probably is just the idea of just, um, you know, music really kind of helped me a lot through, through a lot of hard times. So it's just like, if anything, I think people should just explore it just to kind of, you know, it, help with that music is a really good way to to ex express really complex feelings that you probably can't you know uh come up with on your own um how i'm trying to help is just the idea of just spreading words you know just talk about how gun street as a whole like last year i think 70 percent of our profits went back into kind of just improving ourselves or just like helping out other people and and um you know uh sponsoring a lot of people who you know I'm not doing it to make money, but more to do is to like, you know, keep going. I really, I love a lot of the small podcasts. I listen to a lot of the small podcasts. So I love any way I can help and be like, Hey, you know, I really appreciate here. Here's a, you know, a, a sponsorship. And that really kind of helps them and, and gives them kind of more, more, um, uh, empowerment. To keep going. Yeah, man. And the money is definitely where your mouth is because I mean, it seems like every guitar one at some point I'm like, Oh, Sean and gun street. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and it's just cool to see that. Like, cause as you know, small as the gear community is the podcast community is even smaller than that. So it's just cool that, um, you know, people like you brands like you are, uh, serving up these people who, you know, whether it's YouTube or whether it's podcasts, recognizing, that community aspect, you know, like the customer aspect and the service, because I think it all boils down. And that's why people want to work with companies like Guntry is, man, these people help people. And um, yeah, there's always going to be knuckleheads that ask why it's <laughs> this much money. But I think, you know, as you help people, uh, things will grow and things will follow and money follows where people help people. So um, that's awesome, man. Well, Sean, I think it's been a great chat. Is there any other things you need to get off your chest before we uh, stop the red button? No, not that I can think of just again, support your local community, just even beyond the gear community. Um, this is really yeah. weird times. So uh, we're all in this together. That's awesome, man. Well, for Sean and Chris, everybody remember, give more grace, share more love, and make more music. All right. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Sean. He's just such a chill guy, easy to talk to. I want you to go into the show notes or straight to GunStreetWiringShop.com and just look at how beautiful these wiring harnesses are. Sean is awesome. He's also been on a ton of other gear-related podcasts, so if you want to hear more about Sean, you can go check out um, all the other podcasts. He was on Tone Mob and Guitar Knobs and Clifton Worley and Let Him Hear, so go check out his story. I love every time I get to hear Sean talk. Um, 
Don't forget, like I said, enter the Instagram giveaway on our Instagram at make.more.music. It's the last day. And other than that, I guess hit me up if you want to be in the next new music shout out and hit me up via email if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or you have anything you want to partner with for the show. Otherwise, I'll catch you all on the other side. Remember, give more grace, share more love, and make more music. Music.